It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Well, hello there. Today on the Adult in the Room podcast, Antifa watcher Andy No makes a visit to the Antifa versus Mike Strickland podcast serial. He was around at the time of Strickland's assault and he testifies in the trial. Andy also has written a new book about Antifa. It is a must read for listeners to this podcast. It's called Unmasked. It's available on all the platforms that otherwise have canceled him. So it's a twofer for old Andy. And my interview with Andy about his book is set to drop in my next podcast. Do not miss that one. Okay, the organized left in the media are now seeking to deplatform the rights podcasts. Here it comes. Reuters puts out a hit on the leader of the Proud Boys, I'll explain. But first, let us rise, take off our hats... Put our hands over our hearts for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Undervisible, uh, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Oh, for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Poor man. Only been in politics for decades. Keeps failing up. Was a, stop me if you've heard this, an aide in a program that helps illegal aliens in California as a dropout college student. And then as a teacher's union labor organizer. And then he went to the state assembly. Now, you might be asking yourself after the state assembly, I mean, uh, does this guy ever, I mean, he... Has he ever worked a real job, I think is what you're thinking about. Well, none that requires learning the Pledge of Allegiance. Let's just put it that way. Getting elected is just part of the the joke in uh, Kevin DeLeon's life. By the way, a fake last name. He adopted it the day in the middle of his name, his first and last name, uh, as a dropout college student. Remember, he went back to school, by the way. He went to one of the most expensive schools in California. So there's that. Now, he put out a meme of Bart Simpson on Twitter to admit that, oh, you know, I biffed it. But you're going to love this because (laughs) his spokesman said, you know what? My boss doesn't sit around wondering what the words are to the Pledge of Allegiance. Rather, he sits around wondering how children are going to get fed that day. Wow, isn't he wonderful? He is wonderful. De Leon's getting paid the big bucks to make decisions for the citizens of L.A. I'm sorry, did I say citizens? Anyway, this is the best testimony Perhaps the most comical testimony until Kevin DeLeon's fake name, Pledge Debacle. Identify yourself. What up, counsel? My name is Chad Kroger. Um, I'm an activist and house party enthusiast. Over the past week, I've been in a state of deep despair upon hearing the news that L.A. is trying to outlaw house parties in the Hollywood Hills. I am here determined to stop this future atrocity. House parties were the bedrock of my development as a young man in San Clemente. 
My first introduction to manhood came when the captain of my water polo team, Boomer Kingsley, asked me to shotgun a tall can of Bud Light in front of the whole squad at his end-of-the-season bash. His parents were in Tahoe at the time, so we tore that weekend up. It was epic, and I was super stoked. My newfound confidence gave me the courage to ask out the most popular girl in school, Lauren Stockholder, to prom that year. She rejected me, and I had to go with Stacy McMillan, but I didn't care because I was so amped on chugging with my boys. That's what house parties do. Raging at house parties is the truest Thank way you. to party. Next, next speaker, please come and identify yourself. What up, council? My name is JT Parr. I am also here to defend parties in the Hollywood Hills. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros, regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people, and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. If you outlaw house parties, you may keep the volume down, but an externality is that you may keep people from bonding. America needs bonding. People need to put aside their differences and find common joy. There's no more effective environment for that than a freaking rager. This is the best exemplified in me and Chad's relationship. We were star-crossed. He a surfer, me a bodyboarder. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to welcome you to L.A. Council's Bill and Ted's Excellent uh, Adventure. Now, that testimony was from three years ago, and it was a total troll, a joke over the very real issue of lots of house parties in the Hollywood Hills. And those guys are comedians, and they were fantastic. Now, the parties still occur in the Hollywood Hills, even though I think they've outlawed them. And they're now busting parties in the Hollywood Hills for having just a few people in the same spot because of COVID. City council meetings could be worse. I mean, it could be like a Portland city council meeting. I mean, it was just going to go over this today because of uh, my interview with Andy No next week. And we use this little snippet in our interview, which you'll hear next week. And here's the testimony of a guy at the Portland City Council, which is just a little bit different from the testimony at the L.A. City Council. But you'll have to put your Kevlar earmuffs on mom and dad. My name is Jeff Singer. The mask has nothing to do with hiding my identity. I'm taking away my individuality. I represent a mass of humanity who are tired, hungry, poor, and huddling from tyrants like you, Mayor Wheeler. I am... I am, I am so done coming here and using big words. I haven't even done it that many times, but I am done. I am done watching you look at me with that look. You're talking about sanctuary? We know it is a pointless term. It means not a goddamn thing. I have been up all night. Literally, I have not slept. Stewing over the fucking fact that one of your pigs shot a boy point blank range with a fucking assault rifle, Wheeler. This is out of control. It's yeah. ridiculous. It's on sanctuary. What sanctuary? Sanctuary from the rivers of fucking blood running around goddamn streets? Sanctuary from the fucking cold? It's over. There's no more asking you for a goddamn Fuck thing. Fuck you, Ted. Fuck you. Fuck you, Ted. You are a cap. Shit, just like Charlie Mohale. 
And you may all interrupt my testimony as much as you like. As much as you like. Because your righteous indignation fills me with a fire, comrades. I will tell you what, Wheeler. What do you think this is? It's a fucking gas mask. My own capital, my own labor. I had to put into this to protect myself from your violent and oppressive paramilitary organization that only thirsts for blood. You are a capitalist, a treasurer, a statist, a tyrant. You are nothing to me. You are just scum. This is nothing about sanctuary. This is a chew out to let you know. There are, this is little Beirut, Mayor Wheeler. This is the city of roses, and it has thorns. They're standing behind me. There's people getting real fucking done with fucking around with your cops in the street. You are laying the fucking seeds for an insurrection on the record, Jeff Singer. It is not a threat. It is a fact, and it's a fact. You are building yeah. towards something that's going to blow. Go fuck yourself, you fucking pig. Thank you. Got it. Thank you. Anyone still here? Anyone? Okay, but sure, Ted Wheeler's uh, pepper spraying some stalking attorney. That's the front page news in Portland. <laughs> oh, by the way, the guy who just had that tirade in front of a bunch of angry Antifa members flashing around their flags, their, tra- uh, uh, what is it, Trace Flecas or whatever you call it, flag and their Antifa stand flag and all that stuff. Um, he actually has been interviewed for Antifa versus Mike Strickland. He was one of the persons who testified in the grand jury about that and thinks that Strickland just got a raw deal and actually needed to defend himself. And it sounds to me like that guy, Jeff Singer, is a guy who would know. (laughs) A really interesting, super smart guy, like pretty smart. And I see that he wasn't sleeping during that, uh, right before that testimony, which perhaps may explain why he's so sharp. I don't know. Speaking of calls to violence, the Reuters news agency is trying to get rid of the leader of the Proud Boys. In fact, they're trying to get him murdered. No, not overtly. Okay, they're not saying, hey, let's murder the Enrique Terrio Proud Boy leader guy, the white supremacist who happens to be black and Hispanic. Let's Let's just do that. No, but they did something that was fundamentally, it was not only just unfair, it was wrongheaded and it was a smear. And I'll tell you exactly why I say that. You have a right as a reporter and as a news entity, as writers does in this case, to tell a story that you believe is germane, that that moves the ball, that is something that is of historical importance or importance to the story of the day. Now, but you do have the responsibility to tell the truth. You should do that. Here's the headline. Proud Boys leader was prolific informer for law enforcement. Wow. So he was working against who exactly? You mean he was spying on his own group or on other antagonists like Antifa or anyone else? No, no. That's all it was said on Twitter. That headline, Proud Boys leader was prolific informer for law enforcement. And I'll tell you why that is like setting a match to a brush to start a brush fire. That's like Santa Ana winds meeting a, a match. With a little gasoline. 
So that's all it said on Twitter. Here's what Reuters wanted everyone to see, that bit on Twitter. Whoever leaked the story, that's what they wanted them to see, that headline. But I did what 99.9% of the people won't do. I actually clicked on the story and I read the story. I read it. Tario's career, quote-unquote, as a white supremacist, who's not white but black and Hispanic, is probably over and his life may be over because no one's going to read that story. No one's going to read it. And I'm no Proud Boys apologist. I get really angry with those guys for showing up. They know they're going to get in a fight with Antifa because Antifa always shows up and throws the first punch. And Proud Boys go, okay, you guys start it, we're going to finish it. And that's basically what goes on at all of these so-called free speech rallies that they do. Be that as it may, here's the Reuters story. Lead, here's the lead graph. Enrique Tario, the leader of the Proud Boys extremist group, has a past as an informer for federal and local law enforcement, repeatedly working undercover for investigators after he was arrested in 2012, according to a former prosecutor and a transcript of a 2014 federal court proceeding obtained by Reuters. Gee, how do you think that was obtained by Reuters? What do you think about that? Okay, fair enough. In the Miami hearing, a federal prosecutor, a federal Bureau of Investigation agent, Antario's own lawyer described his undercover work and said he had helped authorities prosecute more than a dozen people in various cases. Tario, in an interview with Reuters Tuesday, denied working undercover or cooperating in cases against others. I don't know any of this, he said, when asked about the transcript. I don't recall any of this. Now, I'm jumping around or I'm jumping down on the story. Law enforcement officials and the court transcript contradict Tario's denial. Oh, oh so now it's all about Tario's denial of this obviously true story, right? Reuters would like you to believe that. And... Reuters, the former, uh, Tario's denial, in a statement to Reuters, the former federal prosecutor in Tario's case, Vanessa Singh Johannes, or Johannes, I don't know, confirmed that he cooperated with local and federal law enforcement to aid in the prosecution of those running other separate criminal enterprises, ranging from marijuana grow houses in Miami to operating pharmaceutical fraud schemes and... He also helped bust up a human trafficking chain. Um, What do they call that? Do they call that just putting him in the Fed's burn book? Is that what just happened there? Yes, this was a leaked story. My guess is it, it was a leaked story by a new person or someone who has affinity for Joe Biden in the Feds or just royally pissed off. Uh, of the Capitol siege on January 6th, in which, by the way, Tario did not participate because he was stopped. Do you know why he was stopped? Uh, The Fed said, and D.C. officials said, it's because he tore down a Black Lives Matter sign, a banner. Quick, call the Feds. Oh, they did. And he supposedly came to town with two um, magazines for a pistol. I assume it's a pistol, which he did not have on his person. He had magazines. 
He had magazines, and I'm not even entirely sure if they were full with bu- of bullets. That's just what they want you to know. There's so much here to unpack. It is extraordinary and gobsmacking that the feds would do this to the guy who previously cooperated them with them. And here's the other thing. Clearly, they don't need him as any kind of uh, informant at all anymore. He hadn't been doing it for years. What they did want to do, however, is to leave the appearance and the the appearance that he was still cooperating with law enforcement and to ring the bell to all any and all people who might have been injured, i.e. put in prison, for his uh, being an informant on notice that, hey, this guy's out there. He's the guy who did it. Go get him. Now, I'm not, you know, look, I am not a conspiracy theorist person, okay? But this is so clear. This is so obvious. Do not be afraid to see what you see, Ronald Reagan said. And the older I get, the more clear it is to me that there is no such thing as a coincidence. As a person of faith, I've always believed that. But as a person uh, in the secular world as well, there are no coincidences. There ain't any. This was done on purpose. This was done to burn him. This was done to, I don't know, get him hurt, killed. I don't know. But if he ends up dead, wow, 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 wow. So Tario, according to... um, Reuters is a, uh, and Proud Boys is a white supremacist group. Yeah, he's black and he's Hispanic. The leader of Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer in the Portland area where the worst Antifa group exists is Hispanic. There is more diversity, if that's what you're going for, if that's your measurement. There's more diversity in Proud Boys than there is in Antifa. So when they start playing the race card in the story, which they do, you might want to bear that in mind. Now, this is this is where it gets tricky. I just want to call attention to anyone who's looked at that headline and gone, holy crow, uh, Enrique Tario, that Proud Boys dude, is informing on his own guys or on an Atifa or he's just a cop lover, which, by the way, I think he is. And I have no idea how in heaven's name that guy ended up being his cop lover. They, you know, the back, the blue guys, they're all over that. The Proud Boys are all like, you know, apple pie, we love God, come on, all American, blah, 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 blah. And they beat the crap out of Antifa when Antifa starts a fight. Anyway, but all you have to do to find out is to read the story. And then, because they don't actually share it, you have to go maybe and find out when it was that he became involved with Proud Boys to determine whether or not there was a cross-pollination of his time as an informant and with the Proud Boys, and you're not going to believe this. There wasn't. It was before, it was probably before that group existed. But even if they had been in existence, he wasn't a part of it. According to Wikipedia, now I know that's a terrible source. I get it. It's a horrible source, but this particular page looks like it was written by Antifa. So, he doesn't look like he was um, involved with this the Proud Boys until at least 
at least 2016, maybe 2017. And he did not assume any leadership role until 2018. You know, the black, Hispanic, uh, white supremacist. Don't we call him a white Hispanic like we they did with George Zimmerman? I'm just curious. Just just curious about it. Have you ever noticed that that people who have more conservative viewpoints, as I assume he does, clearly, and they happen to be Hispanic, cease to be Hispanic anymore? I mean, they're all about diversity and all the inter- intersectionalism and the fact that, oh, so-and-so is a part of this group and this group and this group. And if they're Hispanic... And they're more conservative, which many Hispanics are, by the way. I hate to break it to you. Uh, They are no longer Hispanic. They cease to be a person of color. Now, I'm just I'm just telling I I don't make the rules. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling. Oh, by the way, Enrique Tario went to federal prison in 2013. And he was an informant around that time, too, or right after he got out of prison for, get this, um, rebranding and reselling stolen medical devices. The, the, the government really hates it when you compete with them. So anyway, that's a federal offense. I, I'm not even kidding. They are very serious. I assume it had something to do with Medicare fraud or something like that probably what is it CPAP machine who knows I don't know maybe someday I'll in fact you know what I'm going to try to interview him I'll try to get uh, Enrique Tario on but oops sorry that was my that I just hit that so deal is that uh, he was in prison comes out of prison and then is an informant he helps stop illegal drug operations and human trafficking operations. Quick, call the police. He may be the leader of Proud Boys, but his mom's got to be proud about that. Wow. Enrique, I hope you have protection. Great job, writers. A story that's old. It's not even timely, by the way. This is years old. You've got federal prosecutors outing their own informants in a story that they know will likely cause him physical injury because they're pissed off at him. He wasn't even at the Capitol thing. There were Proud Boys there, which brings me, um, let's see. I'll get to that in just a minute. This is really interesting. I alluded to it last time we got together. And um, it's a guy who does... Uh, well, he's a he's an expert. I'll just jump over to it and I'll get back to the coronavirus story in a second. But I mentioned in a previous podcast and I, I wrote a piece for PJ Media on the timeline of the Capitol siege. And I included some of the observations of this guy because he was going, I, you know, this this is really weird. We, we had a rally, normal people. We're walking to the Capitol and there's some creepy dudes going there. So check this out. As he's walking January 6th with the masses leading the Capitol, not to sack it, but to have their little rally there, he noticed four things, four different groups. And I mentioned this story in writing. Here he is on OAN talking about those four different groups. 
I noticed four different groups of cells or different cadre in there. So the first group was the, the rowdy guys in the MAGA gear. The second group was the plain clothes people who were trying to funnel people into that narrow area. And it turns out that's the area where they broke through the crypt level of the Capitol on the western side to break in right under the rotunda. And then the, the third group were people we saw during the march, and they looked like the Antifa-type lefties. They didn't fit in. They were wearing, indeed, MAGA hats and Trump hats backwards, but they weren't making eye contact. They, they, they didn't fit in. They weren't making conversation with people. And so I was watching them because I thought they'd be trouble. Turns out I didn't see them, at least from where I was, involved in any trouble. But the fourth group was very different from all of them. These were uniformed uh, younger athletic men in camouflage, and many of them wearing helmets with GoPro cameras and uh, Punisher skull patches. And I'd seen them in groups of two or three in the march from the Ellipse to the Capitol, but didn't pay much attention to them. But by this time, they, they came down in a column, about 30 or 40 of them, and they, they went within two feet of me. And one of, them, one of the lead ones announced, we're going to take the Capitol. I, I thought, you're, you're, wow. you're right, there's too much security for that. Even if we don't see it, there's no way you're getting in. Yeah. But also, but they, they came through, they had a military style of discipline. It looked like some of them had the demeanor of some guys who'd served in combat or at least had really good military training. And they were, they were neat, they were tidy, they were orderly, and, but they were guys on a mission. And in answer to a question about the likelihood of President Trump's words that day stirring up the crowd and causing them to go crazy at the Capitol. You know, there there were a few people who did that and hundreds of that, literally hundreds of thousands of people who did not. Well, he said, <laughs> you don't go in the Capitol and do what those guys did, dressed the way they were and not have pre-planned this. You really have to know your way around to navigate those passageways to get to the speaker's office or to get up to the entry to the House chamber and to these other places. You can't just wander in as part of an angry group. Somebody had mapped this out in advance. It was all organized. And you just don't buy uniforms and helmets to go into a place just because the president riled you up 40 minutes earlier. This was all pre-planned way before January 6th. I mean, common sense tells you if you read the president's speech, read my story about the timeline, they were already trying to sack the Capitol building and, he, and Trump's still talking. OK, Trump is still talking. It's like, oh, how big of an incentive was that? Why didn't more people leave and go try to sack the Capitol? Um, because they're not crazy. That's why. And they're not in, they're not incentivized to do that. So really interesting uh, piece. And we'll link it up in the show notes. The other thing is that um, China has rolled out an anal swab coronavirus test saying you're not going to believe this. It's more accurate than the throat kind. <laughs> I mean, the picture, come on, the picture of that. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad they have new, th new ways to detect it. Don't get me wrong, but. <laughs> oh, 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 golly, you better hope they don't pick up the wrong swab. That's all I can say. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, Gavin Newsom's first in line for the new test. 
I'm kidding. His coronavirus response has been so bad. I mean, terrible. He's got all these vaccines, but he doesn't use them because they're not the right people who who could get them. The, the equity. It's all about equity. Have you been noticing this? The whole idea is, oh, equality is out, baby. Equality is out. Equity is in. They've They've just transposed the word. And it's not about equal access or equal equality of opportunity anymore. It is about equality of outcomes, which is why they use the word equity. So so Gavin Newsom's coronavirus response has been so bad that even the compliant California media, who, by the way, have permanent rooms all up in there where Gavin Newsom might get that Chinese test, are actually reporting on the efforts to get Gavin Newsom canceled. Let me repeat, without the allusion to the uh, anal test, uh, which I just did, by the way. (laughs) But, but, no, they're actually reporting on the efforts to get rid of Gavin Newsom. And it is based on a lot of it, his recent coronavirus missteps. And what he's decided to do is he's decided to give people who are more likely to get coronavirus and die from it the vaccinations first than waiting for all the equity stuff to come through. You know, Rush Limbaugh used to make a huge joke every single time um, when something horrible would happen would happen and and he would always say and women and minorities were hurt worst or women and children were hurt worst whatever the theme of the day was the victim class of the day he would he would say that because that's the way the media were reporting stories so and so happened it was a terrible thing and this group this subgroup was hurt worst well the actual subgroup that's hurt the worst in the story need the vaccination the most. But he'd been holding off on that because they were not in an equity group. Because even though there are gazillions of Hispanic and black and sadly white elderly people who would love to get their hands on the vaccination, he was holding off because they were not first in line because of his equity proposals. And people are going, okay, what? Are you out of your mind? Come on, dude. So anyway, the governor says that his response to change now to let older uh, older Californians get the vaccine, his change to get them the vaccine is based on science and numbers. And here are the numbers. Bad poll numbers exploding numbers of signatures on recall petitions and huge numbers of dollars coming in to fund the recall of said Gavin Newsom. But there is science involved. There is science involved in his decision to finally let little old ladies have a COVID shot. It's science. It's political science. And it's equitable political science. Speaking of... uh, politics. This is just popping. The self-appointed cancelers of speech 
speech they don't like, which they then depict, call, characterize as hate speech, and then get their buddies at dictionaries to comply with their new definition of hate speech. Did you just follow what I I just said? That actually happened in the last year. That actually happened. I wrote it down. uh, I did wrote a story about it for PJ Media. And it was the headline was something the most frightening moment of 2020. And go read it. It's chilling. Absolutely chilling. So here's something else that's chilling. The cancel people, the leftists, who are, uh, let's see, how shall I put it? They're fascists. They are. They are anti-freedom. They are anti-First Amendment, Antifa, anti-First Amendment. They're coming for podcasts next. ProPublica, a very left-leaning organization, has announced that the Steve Bannon podcast should be canceled. Now, he is an odious man to many. I've never listened to his podcast. And maybe it uh, jumps over the line occasionally of... Uh, terribleness or something. I know people hate the guy's guts. It's one of the reasons why Trump got rid of him because, you know, people hated his guts. And just a side note, just a side note here. It is a reason why I gave up on Breitbart News after Andrew Breitbart built up that online entity with his own grit and determination with the help of a bunch of other people, Dana Lash and Larry O'Connor and Kurt Schlichter and other people, really terrific people. And when Bannon took over a leadership role, I mean, a day-to-day operational role, he destroyed that website. I mean, you couldn't be any more up Trump's behind than Breitbart was in 2016. And I, in 2015, I should say, and I was, a, I was just stunned. I'm used to the mainstreams going nuts and Fox News embarrassed itself in 2015 too, the lead up to the 2016 election. I'm not anti-Trump. I'm not, I actually really enjoyed that guy. And I, he may go down and I'm, I'm put my marker here. He may go down as one of the best presidents we've ever had. Yeah. Go ahead and laugh now. You won't be laughing in five years. Nevertheless, I mean, I could not believe these, these news entities were so far up his, you know what? It was embarrassing, embarrassing. And I just said, gosh, you know, I had always aspired. I mean, I worked for IJR, worked for PJ Media, uh, and PJ Media is fan fantastic. Definitely opinion, but I don't make up my own facts. So there is that difference with the left. And so I I always thought, you know, someday maybe I'll write for Breitbart as I do my radio stuff. It'll be fun. And I crossed them off my list. I said, no way. There's no chance I would ever write for those guys because they have destroyed the brand. You might think it's alt-right or whatever. Breitbart was Breitbart before alt-right existed. He was just an alternative to conservative, stuffy publications like National Review and others that really just thought their, their poop didn't stink. And Breitbart went, yeah, no, you, we're, we're trying to win here. You guys are losers. And when they went full-on Trump in 2015, I just lost I lost my respect for him. 
just lost my respect for him. Now, they have done yeoman's work in regaining that respect because of their reportage in the last four years. But boy, that 2015-2016 thing. Whew. So now they're trying to cancel Steve Bannon because they hate him. Because he loved Trump and he worked for Trump. And everybody who ever worked for Trump is going to be canceled because that's just the way it is. And you don't have a say about it. So uh, they've decided that uh, Bannon's, tr- uh, Bannon's podcast is going to be on the outs. And there will be a lot of people swept up in the anti-free speech fervor of this anti Go get him after the podcasts. We're going to get that guy. He said something I didn't like. Let's cancel him. Atmosphere that we find ourselves in. 2021's censorship. They're they're banning books. They're banning podcasts, potentially. Certainly banning online publications. One word, one tweet, one book, one podcast at a time. Don't be a tool for these jokers. You listen to the shows you like to listen to, and then you figure it out yourself, because these people are lying. These these anti-free speech people, anti-First Amendment, Antifa. Okay, before we get to Antifa versus Mike Strickland, find me on all my social sites at victoriataft.com. And Victoria Taft at Parlor at some point, whenever they're uncanceled. Uh, MeWe, Minds, Locals, which I'm still trying to figure out, and those other guys run by Zuckerberg and Dorsey. And please subscribe to this podcast because I'd like to have you give it five stars, even if you hate it, and give me a great uh, review because we're playing the algorithm game, folks. That's what we have to do. Pod- Apple Podcasts is the standard by which all others are measured, even though my host is Anchor, which is the best podcast platform out there. They get on everybody else's platforms, don't get me wrong. <sighs> but you still have to go and rate it over at Apple because they're the only guys doing it. And we have to kiss the ring over there. So play the algorithm game. All right. Before they cancel me, let's listen to the next edition in our podcast series on the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft to Antifa versus Mike Strickland. Get out of here, racist. I'm not a racist. Dude, get the out of here. here. Don't put your hands on me. Get out of here. Don't put your hands on me. Get out of here, racist. Do not put your hands on me. Do not put your hands on me. Do not put your hands on me. Put your hands on me. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Showing love, but my heart stays frozen. I just want to be chosen to be the single handed reason that you wake up in the morning. I think about you when I'm all alone, and I don't know if I can make it through this on my own. Before the nightly riots we've seen in the news, there was one case the first case, the case of Mike Strickland. 
Now at noon, another court appearance today for the man caught on camera waving a gun at protesters in Portland last month. And now he faces a lot more charges. Michael Strickland faces 21 counts connected to that incident. He was a journalist who was beaten by Antifa and Black Lives Matter protesters. And he defended himself from the mob with his legal gun. And not a shot was fired. Our position hasn't changed. Our client's position has not changed. That he is not guilty, that he was using the um, weapon to protect himself, and he was doing so within his rights. The only one hurt that day in July of 2016 was Mike Strickland. And the only one punished was Mike Strickland, the victim. I'm of the firm and steadfast opinion that when they come for Strickland's rights, they're coming for mine next. See, Antifa says it's anti-fascist, but Antifa is really anti-First Amendment. It's going back to the street violence of the 1920s and 1930s as a technique and a tactic. And the court system doesn't realize it's happening. This is the story of Mike Strickland. We're winding down the courthouse saga in the case of Antifa versus Mike Strickland. It was February 2017, eight months after he was attacked and assaulted by members of Antifa. We've heard from the prosecution's top witness, Benjamin Carenza, the one who oversaw the conspiracy to somehow get Strickland out of their proprietary Black Lives Matter, don't shoot Portland march and rally. There they were, blocking traffic on a city street. And yet, it was not okay for Mike Strickland to be there. Strickland caught the leader of Don't Shoot Portland saying out loud at another public rally that there was no such thing as a peaceful protest. My name is Ty Carpenter, and I'm the president of Don't Shoot Portland. (laughs) Teresa Rayford is also my mother. And I just want to say, I didn't come here to listen to a sermon. There's no fucking, there's no such thing as fucking peaceful protest. That is an exercise. That is an exercise in all lives matter bullshit. And it's not going to stand. There is no peaceful protest. We are being fucking murdered. Okay? You're speaking to a new generation. So you need to talk like it. against us every night and before George Floyd PPB has a major fucking problem with white supremacy that is what it is that is what it is point blank if you want to know the problem it lies in the city of Portland this is exactly what they want and you cannot condemn the actions of Donald Trump's federal troops when you didn't denounce the actions of PPB. We had to file a lawsuit. And what did you do? You continue. You continue. I've seen the live streams. People's mouths getting snatched off and tear gas straight in the face. I've seen the vans rolling up. Rolling up and taking people. Stop killing us. We need more than statements. We need fucking change. And we can only do so much as a non-profit organization, but our elected officials, y'all have that power for a reason. We can't do as much as you. Black Lives 
matter, fuck a peaceful protest. Thank you. That was Ty Carpenter, whose mom, Teresa Rayford, an avowed Marxist, is in charge of Black Lives Matter in Portland. They were standing in front of Mark Knutson, the cleric from Augustana Lutheran Church, the pastor who participated in all leftist rallies, or nearly all of them, giving them a veneer of spirituality. The thinking went, well, if God's okay with arson and looting and vandalism, who are we to say otherwise? That included beating people who didn't agree with them. They didn't like him, and they didn't like that he called himself laughing at liberals. He made them look foolish. He held up a mirror and made them see themselves. He had to go. This is what Strickland was up against when he wanted to video the rally in March. At the same rally, this is what took place. And I promise you, if they go about they burden of, of whatever they said you're doing, you pull your piss out and you fucking bust at You pull your piss out and you bust at Because at the end of the day, it's going to be you against them. When we do, when we move with the Panthers, trust me, when you see me move, I'm moving in violence. Now stop clapping. Stop clapping. Stop clapping because most of y'all folks ain't involved. Real talk. We're tired of walking around here asking y'all to help us. No more asking. We need action. I don't give a fuck whether you knock them over, whether you run up on them, whatever you do, you better fucking take action. Soon we'll hear from officers who saw the confrontation and did nothing to help Michael Strickland, something that many people have complained of. And who can blame them, I guess, considering the fact that there had just been talk about killing police officers in front of the same crowd. Among those at the rally that day, was a nobody PSU student who had a couple of part-time jobs, was the son of immigrants, and who had leaned more politically right than most people in his lane. Andy No, who is now seen on TV and who has impressive op-eds in newspapers and magazines and writes for a well-known website. But at that point, he was just some guy taking video and taking in the Portland protest scene. What he didn't know then was that he would be hurled into Mike Strickland's world. He would be asked to testify at Mike Strickland's trial. Did you miss standing? Raise your right hand. Under the penalty of perjury, do you solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give in this matter will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes. Please have a seat, state your full name, and spell it. My name is Andy Ngo. My first name is spelled A-N-D-Y. My surname is spelled N-G-O. Go ahead when you're ready. Thank you. As a defense witness, No was called to establish that there were bad actors going after Strickland, the videographer. Though he didn't see the initial attack by Carenza and his comrades, that's what they call themselves, No established that he was there, could not see a lot, but could tell that something was happening, and as a man with a camera, should get closer. How close did it stand? Were you in the street, sidewalk, where were you located? I do not recall. Okay, do you recall when you saw Mr. Strickland? When, so there were two incidents 
prior to the gun being brandished. Um, the first time that I recall seeing him, he, I don't remember exactly where he was on the left side, but when I was standing very close to I had moved close to him after uh, some, some amount of minutes, I don't recall. And at that point, I recall him, if my memory is correct, in the lower left. By lower left, I mean in the back, to the left in the back of the crowd. And um, did you just happen to be near him, or did you intentionally move closer? I intentionally moved closer because um, when they had moved to the Justice Center, there was already some people that had confronted him, shouting at him. It was, I recall two men, one of them had bleached hair, and he shouted out the word, you're a racist, or something close to that. Racist was used, I recall that specifically. Um, that I observed from a distance, maybe 20 feet, uh, just shouting at him, not particularly anything interesting, so I went on to record the speakers who were on the stuff speaking, and then later uh, I did... Let's slow down for just a moment, okay? Uh, so is that, the, I guess the question I asked was, what was the reason you got closer to him? Was it because you'd seen people sort of uh, verbally harassing him, or how you could say it? That was my reason for later moving that close to him, yes. Okay. So no moved closer to where he saw a scrum of people who were outfitted in black blocks surrounding Strickland. Though he hadn't seen the initial violent manhandling of Mike Strickland, something was happening. So uh, you were describing that you'd seen a man with uh, like blonde hair shouting things at Mr. Strickland, like he was a racist, that sort of thing. Did you, you said that there was uh, another male, did that happen, something with the other male happened before or after? It was the same time as the bleach hair man. It was two men. Okay, what did you see with the other man? I don't recall what he was shouting at him. Okay. What was Mr. Strickland doing at the time? He was recording, uh, he was operating his camera, um, and it, looks like, it looked like he was not trying to engage with the people who were shouting at him. Okay, and what was he filming? Or what, what direction was the camera? pointed at the stairs where the speakers were speaking. Okay. And, and where were you in relation to Mr. Strickland at this time? I was probably 20 to 30 feet away. Uh, I really don't remember where I was, but I was not close when that happened. Okay. And then you moved closer? I did. Okay. And how close did you move? When I moved close to him, I was directly next to him, to his right. Okay, okay. And directly next to him, in terms of feet, how close would you estimate? Uh, maybe four feet. There was nobody standing between us. Okay. Yes. Like, closest one to him? Yes. And when you were this close to him, what did Mr. Strickland, what was, what was he doing? He was recording the event. Um, there was a woman who was um, asking him a lot of questions in a very aggressive manner. She asked, um, that's what was happening. Asking questions, okay. Um, and how was, well, how was Mr. Strickland reacting to that? He answered her questions in terse yes or no's or one answer lines, as I recall. She was asking him, why are you here? What are you doing? What are you recording for? Just um, berating him with questions. And he was calm, and he did answer her questions. But it looked like he was also trying to ignore her so he could record the event. Okay. And then, uh, 
And how would you describe her demeanor? I look like um, her demeanor. It looked like she was just trying to annoy him. Okay. Was so was Mr. Strickland making trouble or engaging in people trying to harassing people anything like that? Not at that moment, no. Um, so you say not at that moment. Did you observe him um, making trouble or instigating other people at any, at any moment? Um, actually, we'll, we'll go through it. Step by step. We'll talk about it. Um, so I'm going to draw that question. I walked away closer to the steps to record. It wasn't particularly interesting to see this woman who I didn't know asking questions to this man. Um, sometime later, when I did look back in the direction of the back of the crowd, there was some noise, commotion, and that was when Mr. Strickland was backing up from the crowd and there was a small group of people who were pursuing him. And that's when I walked towards that direction to record. That was a common trick by activists in Antifa and BLM. They were just beginning to put it into use at that time. As we saw in a previous episode, when the militants started targeting Strickland with verbal abuse, free speech was beginning to be fungible. Instead of being lauded or at least grudgingly accepted as part of the law of the land, certainly okay on public property, Free speech was now being seen as a weapon used against the noble Antifa who had begun redefining free speech as only that speech that would be supportive of them. For years, Strickland had taken photos and videos of people, protesters, activists, and people thought nothing of it. But by 2016, things were changing. The definition of free speech and self-defense were unrecognizable. Indeed, the definitions had entirely changed. Free speech was now only considered speech that made them look good and supported them. You were an ally or you were out. Strickland, not aware of the sudden rule change, was out. Officially, it was now okay to stop anyone from recording their protests. And no one said a word to stop the mob from muzzling speech. After all, it was for a noble purpose. They were on the side of the angels, and everyone else was a fascist. That's why instead of Antifa standing for anti-fascist, Antifa began turning, veering, really, into anti-First Amendment. Small group of people, angry, some were dressed in black. Uh, one that I recall had a flagpole with the pointed end of the stick directed at Mr. Strickland. Uh, things were being shouted. I don't recall anything in particular, though. Okay. And what made you think that they were Just looking at the expressions on their faces. Did you, uh, was there a particularly, was there anyone who called, called their attention being large in size or small? Do you remember the, what any of these individuals looked like, what the bills were like? 
The person who was holding the flag was a larger male, I believe. Okay. When you say larger, do you know? Do you, do you have any recollection of what that means more specifically? An obese body. Andy Noe did not know what he was seeing that day. But he would see it all too clearly later, three years later, when an Antifa assault sent him to the hospital with brain damage. Next time on Antifa versus Mike Strickland. Four police officers, a use of force officer who's an expert, and even Antifa and anarchists come to Mike Strickland's defense. On Antifa versus Mike Strickland on the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. This week's episode of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is brought to you by victoriataft.com. Editing, mastering, advertising, technical support, and understanding for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. The music is gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for the case of Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by RC, and it is used by permission. Find RC on all social sites at Raps by RC. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram at Raps by RC. Imaging for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. Logo by Hageman Creative. Find him on Instagram. Photo of Victoria Taft is by Hilly Collective. The Adult in the Room podcast is produced by Flamingo Road Studios. All rights reserved. <laughs>